Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And back in 1997, on David Bowie's 50th birthday, I was asked to go on an arts programme on RTE Radio 1, Ireland's only national radio station at the time, to discuss Bowie's work. The host was Mike Murphy, my mentor in broadcasting and a friend. And even though I did scribble down a few ideas to set up a kind of structure for our chat, much of what you will hear was improvised. Tragically, David Bowie never reached 70. He died in 2016 way too prematurely. So let's say this is my belated podcast appreciation and tribute. By the way, if you want to read my articles, check joejacksoninterviewer.com. Ground controls a major tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. David Bowie, he of the bright red hair and futuristic stage suits, is 50 years old today. Born in Brixton in 1947, 50 this week, marking the year that the first of the baby boomers reached the same age. So, Joe Jackson, to paraphrase one of his earliest songs, Changes, are a lot of rock and rollers feeling just that little bit older today? Well, I'd, I'd say, I mean, I should lodge an objection immediately. It's Mr. Presley's birthday, too, and we don't mention him. He would have been 67, so that's, how does that, how God. old does that make early oh, rockers feel? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, I'd say, yeah, with Bowie, but the best thing about Bowie, and one positive thing I'd say about his music uh, and his attitude from the outset is that he has embraced age. It's like Paul Simon's material in that uh, the, the continual changes and the embracing of new, new techniques and new approaches to music throughout his career, uh, he's not locked in the kind of uh, youth based mm. market well, so, so it wouldn't really uh, affect as many as the other is there the a present. continuity that you can spot from his um, from Space Oddity um, to the latest album 1995 Outside yeah he's a spacer he's a spacer I mean, it's, it, that's, and spacer I mean you can see, use that in every sense in relation to his obsession with sci-fi which is obvious from his very first uh, single there or his first hit single which was uh, apparently inspired or cashing in on the, the moon landing in 69 and his, his fascination with sci-fi in terms of he's been part of organizations. He believes that at a time when he was suffering from cocaine delusions, he believed he was a Martian and he, from the stage, said to the audience, he can't go out in the sunlight because he's afraid he'd melt. And then, of course, he played the part in The Man Who Fell to Earth. So he has this kind of... And the, the title of this new biography by Christopher Sanford is Loving the Alien. And even now, whenever Bowie talks about him, there was a TV documentary last night, <coughs> excuse me, on, on uh, UTV, uh, Bowie says he is beginning to love the alien, being his other self. Mm. And his new album is called, his next album, which is not out yet, is called Earthling. And he was saying it's kind of, that's a sentimental nod of the head towards the fact that I, I now enjoy being an earthling. So when I say spacer, I don't just say it in a facetious way. But that idea of the outsider and what you're saying about that he sees himself as an outsider and different and he always seems to be somewhat detached in his demeanour. Um, and is it because of that that he has not engaged the affections or the emotions of people, say, like myself? I've never felt any relationship at all. You mentioned Elvis. Of course, there's a warmth immediately. Right. But not with David Bowie. Well, you see, David Bowie is, is a postmodern ironist. You're not supposed to feel warmth towards him. 
That's a pretty good one now to hit me with, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably why. Right. So he's a postmodern ironist. Okay, well that's probably why I don't love I him. Could, it could be that, yeah. No, but that is uh, he also that is that that is how he would define himself as an artist. And uh, again, I'm not saying that facetiously. And we must remember he has recorded uh, something like Brecht's song, the Alabama song. And he's very he's he's studied theatre, he studied mime, he studied art at that level. So he does believe in uh, the element of alienation. He does believe and he doesn't want to make you feel comfortable when you hear his music. Mm. He doesn't want to engender feelings of warmth or emotion, though he can do that. And I mean, I'm sure there are many David Bowie fans out there who would just say, Mike, you don't get it. And that they feel, they may feel deeply uh, emotionally attached to the man. You know what I mean? So should I be searching for something in his lyrics? Are his lyrics meaningful? Yeah, it's like if you are into representational painting or abstract expressionism. You know, one will move you even, or minimalism, a, a thin white line, and this guy mm. calls himself the thin white duke, on, on, a, on, a, on a black canvas, or vice versa, can some people will find moving. Uh, a Jackson Pollock, some people will find moving. Other people will just want a representation of a landscape. Yeah. With Bowie, his work is abstract expressionism. It's expressionism uh, on a theatrical level in terms of stage presentation, in terms of his image. And specifically, his lyrics are, they, they tap into what William Burroughs calls the cut-up technique. All right, then, then take that argument okay. a little bit further. You're taking uh, painting and you're taking people right. like Jackson Pollock. These right. were the leaders okay. of, of uh, different types of painting styles. Right. Uh, why is it then that I would get the feeling about Bowie that he is der a derivative and that he is simply searching around for a number of identities. He's Ziggy Stardust, sure. he's Major Tom, he's all these different entities, and that he's not one thing. Well, that's, 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 well, then you've got an instinct about him that's totally accurate. Because this is what he said to Alan Yentop on television last Saturday night, and you probably didn't see that. Uh, he said, I am not an original thinker. I synthesize rather than create original thought. And he also said he doesn't believe that Bob Dylan even had an original thought about Vietnam. But Dylan did yeah. not have an original yeah. thought. Yeah, and he about did Vietnam. say that yeah. what he does best is he synthesizes ideas from literature, from film, from mime, from, from whatever. And he is kind of the, the, you know, the, the element through which they pass. And in, but the other question is the question of identity is, is of core importance to him because he doesn't want to be a singular identity. He wants to be, I mean, the changes, ch ch changes, is the first one of those earliest songs. And on his last album, he nods back to that again. He's continually, and this is like pop psychology, and in this biography of persons, the, the author says people are wrong to say this about him, but I don't know that that's true. That he continually changes his identity because he's not particularly, or hasn't for, wasn't for a long time, happy with who he is. So he's much, he's much happier being a Martian, or being the thin white mm. Duke, quasi Sinatra, Pollock and Song, or William Burroughs. But just to finish, what, for people who don't know what the cut-up technique, he, he, the cut-up technique is you take a logical sentence, you take a lyric, a lyrical idea, and you, you, he now does it on his computer. But in the beginning, you just lay out the sentence as a, as a logically structured uh, entity, and you cut it, and you reverse all the phrases, or you, you reverse it around, and you sing the reversals. So you're, it's like cubist painting it is. It and is. music. Yeah, and now he zipped it around on his computer. So you can't gain access to his lyrics in a linear level. So with Cubist painting or with, uh, with poetry, his hope is that there's some kind of reality being abstractified from deep down. So you, don't, you either get it at that unconscious level or you just close the doors and you say, I'm not interested in playing this mind game. Mm. And that would be the response of many people. Okay. But if you want, I mean, we can play something that shows that's not how he started. And uh, that would be a far more linear song, such as the Gene Genie. Small Gene Genie, small Gene Genie. 
Jean Genie. Now, I understand that that referred to Jean Genet. Isn't that correct? It did. It was partly that and uh, Iggy Pop. And Iggy Pop. They were, they were two of the inspirational forces for it. But just listening to it there in line with what you were saying earlier, there were so many reference points there. Dylan the Stones, all that stuff. You could hear just echoes of other people. But yeah, uh, those, that was... Uh, and this is when Bowie, uh, I think much influenced by his wife at the time, Angie, decided to take on board um, the, the gay image. And uh, his songs became littered with coded references. Much influenced by Angie, did oh, she? Yeah. Did she yeah. encourage him to do that? Yeah, uh, well, they were they were a bisexual couple, you know, and they uh, can't use the word in the air, but they claimed they met when they were dancing with the same man. To use a metaphor for it. But you actually mentioned Frank Sinatra there uh, earlier on when you were talking about David Bowie. Now the fact is that uh, Bowie was at one stage interested in portraying Frank Sinatra in the movie of Sinatra's life. But Sinatra's reaction was yeah. pretty pithy, you might say. He said, uh, what he actually said was, no English fag is going to play me. And that's what he actually said. That's now, right. now there, this again, you're, again, you're talking ambivalence with regard to um, David Bowie and identity, and sure. is there is there a centre, be it a moral centre or otherwise? Um, and is he is he homosexual? Is he bisexual? What is he? Not well, that, I'm not saying yeah. that it matters, but it does <coughs> to a certain extent because it has impinged upon the way he has written well, his no, songs I'm, and his demeanour. Well, it very much dictates how he wrote a lot of the uh, the albums of the early 70s. I mean, Gene Genie has lyrics there like Love's Chimney Stacks and Gene Genie Lives on His Back, even though it's Gene. And they, I'm sure Frank Sinatra heard those lyrics. That's exactly mm. why he said what he said. I think what matters about uh, whether Bowie is or isn't, and uh, it, it seems uh, in, I think it was 1975, he gave a very momentous interview to Melody Maker in which he said, I am gay and I was even when I was David Jones, which was his original name. He's, he's since turned around on that and said that he explored homosexuality and he's now practicing heterosexual. But I think, uh, and I think a, ma a lot of that matters far less than the influence he had on rock and pop culture and society in general in the early 70s. Like I remember uh, being shown, a photo, my father actually showed me a photograph from the Sunday Times, which was the, one of the most potent images from the early 70s of glam rock, which was Bowie on his knees in front of Mick Ronson sucking his guitar strings. And that image was winged around the world. And that tying in with the nature of these songs immediately brought rock onto a new level. But where it, where it positively affected people was it became, you know, cool to be bi or to be homosexual, which was the first time in rock culture that it, it had been acceptable like that. And that later led on to disco. So he opened the doors at all those levels. And a lot of his songs advocate explorations of different forms of sensibility, sexuality, and then expressing that through art. So I see all that as positive. Mm. Uh, uh, but I can see how people like... Uh, and also the gay community feel that... I read a great book called Rock on the Wild Side, which analyzes five of uh, Bowie's key songs. And as much as they admire him having liberated people at that level, this gay author then says, it's such a shame that so many of his lyrics have to be, whenever he confronts the subject of homosexuality, they're doomed, pathetic, depraved figures. Mm -hmm. That's a decadent view. Yeah. Which again might tie in with what Bowie was going through, because at the time, I only casually referred to it earlier, and he admits it now, he was a cocaine addict, which, which deeply affected, which made him paranoid, which gave him... Uh, an inclination towards fascism. He explored Satanism. Mm. He, uh, you know, I mean, and, and I'm not running any link between those and homosexuality. 
but but he took some very strange uh, attitude well, positions there. All right, just a, a point on that. You talk about him going down on his knees there, but there was the other famous occasion or infamous occasion where he went down on his knees um, at the Freddie Mercury AIDS concert, um, and uh, he went down on his knees and began to recite the Lord's Prayer. It was one of the great cringe-making moments, I think, in pop history. Well, somebody said if you juxtapose those two images, that against on his knees sucking Mick Ronson's guitar strings, yeah. you get the kind of contradictions in David Bowie's career. Okay, and personality. What else then? Has, uh, there are other things in his life that he has tried to hide, isn't that correct? Yeah, Apart again, from sexuality. Uh, well, yeah, I, th I think um, the central one is, uh, and I kind of uh, touched on it earlier about loving the alien. This could refer to uh, one analysis of his Ziggy Stardust creator crea creation and his follow-up album and uh, subsequent creation, Al the album Aladdin Sane. If you break down that into what it's really saying, the words are Aladdin that's what it is. And it refers to his brother. And, he, you know, Bowie even said on television last night that, that there's a huge uh, history of, of mental and emotional mutilation in his family. Three of his family were hospitalized for mental illness. His brother killed himself as a result of schizophrenia. And that, I think, is what Bowie is trying to rationalize when he talks about loving the alien. It's the other self in him. And particularly when he went through the cocaine period, according to many observers and friends and his wife, ex-wife Angie, he was schizophrenic. And he, this kind of, this dualism runs right through his entire life and career. And that's what I think still shapes uh, the, a lot of the songs he's creating. The, right. the attempt to come to terms with, the, with potential schizophrenia and to, to escape its clutches. Well, is there a moment then when we have actually heard the real David Bowie in his music? Because we keep hearing all these different identities of his singing and interpreting songs, but has the real David Bowie been heard? Well, he claims, and uh, lots of fans would not agree with this, but he did say himself last Saturday night, so we can play the song he said. He said that, uh, I mean, if you listen to him, uh, there's a song he did, Rock and Roll Suicide, which is from Ziggy Stardust, to me is like an absolute rip-off of a Jacques Brel song called Come Jeff. And Bowie has said that all his vocal influences were Presley, Scott Walker, Little Richard, Anthony Newley in particular. And not just as a singer, we should try not to see Bowie as a singer, but as a theatrical person. And uh, I think he also sounds like Johnny Mathis when he covered a song called Wild as the Wind. And according to Bowie, this is as close as you're going to get to hearing his real voice. Well, Johnny Mathis did it better, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, well, that was uh, David Bowie as himself, so to speak. And uh, I but think he, as well, he's assumed a few other identities <laughs> would be my view, frankly. Um, he no, I think actually listening to that, I think I, I, what I said to you was that, uh, I mean, you could, I can almost hear the breathing or the beat between who he is and him wanting to be Anthony Newley or Scott Walker yeah. or, or whoever. It's almost like there's a distance there that, that it's hard to jump across. Mm. He's, he's too mannered. He, he's been working with Brian Eno, which is good for anybody's career, isn't that true? Well, there's a quote here in this biography which sounds very Eno-ish, and this is Bowie describing himself. He said, I'm, mid, uh, I'm midway between high art and low art. I'm a mid-art populist and postmodernist Buddhist who is casually surfing his way through the chaos of the late 20th century. 
Well, and that very I mean, much ties in with Khan. And uh, apparently, Eno deeply influenced his uh, his. Uh, in fact, they were they were soul brothers in terms of their artistic vision. And Eno obviously has had a similar influence on Bono and on you too. Bowie would be a huge influence on Bono uh, and uh, okay. that that approach to art. Finally and briefly, who is David Bowie's audience? Who are the people who like him, listen to him, want him, remember him? Well, I think, yeah, I think he's actually had, uh, I think he created three great albums, but again, they're only going to appeal to a limited audience. His, his last album, Outside, was like, uh, it was a narrative story about a, an art dealer. Uh, the album before that, Black Tie, White Noise, was um, was a number one album in Britain. So, I mean, he's still appealing to a rock audience. And, he, and his next album, which many people will laugh at, is a jungle album. So it's, it's kind of midway between techno, industrial and drums and bass. Mm -hmm. So whether, whether younger fans will accept the 50-year-old David Bowie either jumping on this bandwagon or taking, taking it to do with it what he wants uh, remains to be seen. But I think his rock audience, the rock audience is still open to both. Okay, we're finishing with him uh, and Black Tie, White Noise and Joe Jackson, thank you. Getting my facts from a Benetton pad Looking through African eyes Lit by the glare of an enemy Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast, which was subtitled David Bowie and Appreciation. And don't forget, if you want to read my articles, check joejacksoninterviewer.com. And if you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, why not subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts? Cheers.